0: We are at a place where we have no time left, and if we continue to lose the war, it means the end of civilization, basically, and the scientists have been very, very clear about that, and our political system is not responding. We've behaved for a really long time, and behaving has gotten us exactly nowhere. Profound social change essentially never happens without civil disobedience and direct action. My friend Annette, she's the youngest member of a group called the Raging Grannies, and she's just sixty four, but Shirley, who's one of the eldest, I believe she's ninety four, and Shirley was you know locked down with Annette to a rocking chairs on the train tracks uh, last spring uh, against oil trains. It's really hard politically for prosecutors to go after women who are in their 80 s. <laughs> it just is. Uh, they look like bullies, and for good reason, right? older people who do these things we've had a thriving planet for more of our lives right and so I definitely feel a responsibility for preserving that as much as it's within my power to do so for the people who come after me. I actually kind of love that question because people with kids invariably answer because of my kids (laughs) Uh and I don't have kids. I mean there are a lot of young people that I love but it's really about my love for the world itself. It's not right that we as humans are like on track to wipe out up to like 95% of the species on Earth. It's arrogant, it's terrible, and I don't want to live in a world that isn't a beautiful, thriving place. And if it takes my spending some time in prison to you know, help to change that conversation, that's a trade I'm willing to make. The truth is that these companies can't operate without our consent. They have thousands of miles of pipeline, there are some simple things that we can do, and that includes turning off valves, it includes, you know, blockading trains, and includes all kinds of things. We planned and talked to each other and did a lot, a lot of research, you know, to make sure it would be safe, and did a couple scouting trips. We And we did go to Standing Rock, actually, in combination with one of those scouting trips. We had a meeting the morning that we flew out on Sunday morning at my house in Seattle. And that was very emotional. You know, we talked a little bit about sort of what we were feeling and what we were thinking and what what our worries were. Reed read a really beautiful poem. And then we separated. One of the things I kept thinking of is, you know, my mom, this year she's going to turn 90 years old and she has cancer, although she's doing quite well with it. And so I thought, God, even if I have to spend just a year or two in prison, am I absenting myself from the last couple of years of my mom's life? Is that the choice I'm making? And if I am making that choice, like, is that a reasonable thing to do or is that crazy? In Minnesota, there were four of us. Got up very early the next morning, drove out to the site. Meanwhile, a friend of ours back in Seattle had called the pipeline company, Enbridge, uh, and told them exactly where we were and exactly what we were going to do and said, you know, please initiate uh, your safety procedures now, we are going to be shutting off the valve. We let 10 minutes go by after that phone call and in those 10 minutes we cut the locks into the enclosure and then we cut the locks on the valves. The truth is that these are the emergency shutoff valves. So, if you can't shut off the emergency shutoff valves, there's obviously a problem over which we have no control. And I began turning the valve. I didn't feel any resistance, but then after a brief period of time, we heard a very loud noise, which we had been forewarned about. And then we started seeing there's a thing that looks like a a very, very large screw under a plastic bubble that's transparent. And we saw that going down, so we knew that they were indeed shutting the valves remotely, as we thought they might. So we stood and we watched that, and it was a a nice visual metaphor because it really looked like uh, a thermometer. We actually physically stopped 15% of the U.S. oil consumption on that particular day for a period of hours. There were three sheriff's cars that pulled up, which, you know, maybe seemed a little bit like overkill for the, the two of us. we you know, pretty small women. We'd been waiting around for them and we weren't gonna run and we weren't at all interested in violence, and so they did pat us down, of course, and then they arrested us and took us away. But when I was in jail, I was actually thinking about the other folks, you know, sitting in their jail cells and, you know, wondering how it was resonating for everybody else. You know, we went in with our eyes wide open. You know, the range of possible penalties is quite large, and again, we knew that. You know, look at the civil rights leaders. People had, like, dozens of charges, is my understanding, over the course of a year or two. One thing you're doing, also, is demystifying the arrest process, because there's a huge psychological barrier the first time you get arrested. Like, was this a dumb thing? Was it just a gesture? What was my family going to think? How would people respond to this? With climate change activism, I really came into it with that first civil disobedience at the White House. There were like 1,100 of us over the course of two weeks who were arrested. I went through that huge psychological barrier, even though I knew there was never a second at which I felt physically at risk. I was the youngest of the valve turners. Uh, I, I just turned 50. Those of us who took what was perceived to be the highest level of risk by being the valve turners, are all older, and that is important because basically, you know, somebody gets arrested for something like this when they're in their 20s or 30s, and it can be a real problem for all kinds of things. That's something that Bill McKibben has been saying for years, is that it's really up to the older folks who don't pay as high a price when, when they take these risks. Wherever we here have been engaged, we have won every single fight so far. And that means stopping coal ports. It means stopping a rail spur to bring in oil trains. You know, it means Keystone XL. Of course, that was a big, huge national fight. It also means Shell, um, doing the Arctic drilling and bringing their rigs here. When you're risking prison time, people look at it differently and they're like, wow. That's crazy. Why would someone do something like that? And if we can inspire that question, why would someone do something like that, then we can seriously advance the conversation around climate change. Some of the law enforcement officers engaged in some of the blockades have not only thanked us, they have also visibly shed tears over what we have done. If there are people who see what we are doing and it changes them in some deep emotional way, and if they are moved by it, it can make a big difference. A lot of these fights start as indigenous fights. These incredibly under-resourced communities are doing some of the most beautiful work you know, on the planet. And they are leading, and they are doing it for all the right reasons, and they are making all the right connections. We have to show up for these people if this had been a fight only of the Standing Rock Sioux, it would have been every bit as beautiful in what it was. But it was able to create the powerful narrative that it has created because so many people came in support, even though it's you know, off in North Dakota in what seems to many of us the middle of nowhere. There's lots of things that people can do, but generally not by themselves. When people join forces with one another, we have vastly more power there's still a lot we can do so think about when you're old or on your deathbed what you will wish you had done because now is the moment to do it